Animation afternoons, classics in the evening, marathons to midnight, morning foreign highlights. Everyone is there, the place to be and share. Almost always something you've never seen. <laughs> Wait, I'm not done. Laughter and the finest finger food cuisine. <laughs> I don't know why I find that so funny. Um, Hand-drawn posters in the mezzanine. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Soacene. That's really sweet, Aaron. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Feeling comedic after guess, last week's episode of I, a comedy? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so this week, we're designing the Soacene Theater, which has both of us on the edges of our seats yeah. to share our ideas. <laughs> we love designing places for the Soacene. It's our favorite thing to do. Perhaps if we were both architects, our apartment would be covered with blueprints for the solo scene. Sure. Right now, it's just covered with little sketches. Yeah, especially when it's uh, like movie related. Mm. Those are kind of like, it's like the Venn diagram. Of things we like. Yeah, I think we're right at the center of that. Mm -hmm. Although our movie Ben, or my yeah. movie Ben that you're kind of coattailing along, along with. Yes, when you share one television, it's hard for one person to fast movies while the other is still watching them, so we're both partaking in a movie ban so that Aaron can read more. That sounds so first world. Okay, so <laughs> let's start with designing the solo scene theater. I understand that you have an image. No. Okay. So basically, I was my plan was to draw it. However, the thing with me is I'm not a good drawer unless it is a beaver, right. as we saw in last week's episode. Right. Uh, however, I will describe my theater. I have a lot of ideas. I just have a page of ideas, so bear with me. To start out, get this image. So there's, as you know, at a theater, several rooms for screenings. Yes. Usually it's not just one screen. And I picture the solo scene theater having multiple rooms. Each room will have a theme. Because right now, every room at the theater is the exact same. It's dark. That's it. <laughs> it's true. And I know it's like, obviously, it needs to be dark. There can't be a ton of windows. However, I'm going to paint the picture of a few of the different rooms. The first room that I designed is classically themed after perhaps a church, some would say. Ooh. So I picture the back wall where the projector is coming from being a really, really dark stained glass. So not a light stained glass, there's light streaming in, but just a really, really brown and like reds, really dark colors stained glass. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a glow yeah. from back there. And then the projector is coming from that screen onto the stage. Because I like the idea of it not just being a screen, of it being a stage so it can be retractable for actual theater performances, perhaps. Multi-purpose. Yes. And so the stage slash screen area will have curtains and it will be like the theater where they have the Oscars. Mm. You know how that theater is? It's very gold and red. Yes, yes. I imagine it being like that on the stage. And then I said for the chairs in this room, it could be almost pew-like church pew like <laughs> because i like pews everyone's always complaining that they're uncomfortable i feel like they have a good in between no i mean i i would <laughs> kill for pews at some of the um some of the local cinemas we have here yeah we're always griping about them pews can't be much worse than what they have at cineplex yeah and also curved so not just rows that are straight right i feel like they should be curved around the screen which the screen could perhaps have a slight curve to it cross that bridge when we get to it so this is the classical cinema so perhaps this is where you screen the classical movies. Okay. It doesn't have to be. I like it could that be idea. modern movies that have classical undertones or what have you. But something like that. A very artistic theater. So no cup that, holders. No cup holders, no. And the curtains 
will close the screen and open yes. them. With, I really like that idea. I think yeah, cool. I love when the curtains close and open. Maybe that can be a space for a an orchestra for silent films and stuff Aaron. like that. Oh, sorry. You got ahead of me. <laughs> sorry. But there is, <laughs> there is, in fact, an orchestra pit. Okay. And I wasn't sure if it was going to be in this one or if it was going to be in another one. However, I wanted there to be a pit for also if there's plays, you need an orchestra. And one thing that's going to be common across all of the theaters in my solo scene theater is that they'll have a little pulpit, little stand for someone to come in and give a preamble to the movies. Nice. Because I love when that happens at theaters. There's someone who comes in and they tell their experience with the film or just something funny. It doesn't have to be like the director of the yeah. film. It can just be a random person. I agree with that, actually. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'm guessing cinemas don't do it because they're usually like, well, how am I going to get the cinematographer for mm-hmm. whatever? But it is kind of cool if it's just someone like us yeah, or just someone with a passing interest in film who wants to talk about the first time they ever saw Casablanca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. And it could be for new movies too because if it's the employees doing it, so say you have a, like 20 people working at the cinema, you get to pre-screen it mm. as an employee and then you can then formulate, oh, do I want to be the one who gives the talk for this, whatever. And it just would be a bit more involved as an employee of the cinema. And you could also get community members in, say it was a film about trucks. You get the local <laughs> trucker to come in and give you a... In the solo scene? No, that's, I don't know why that example came to my head. <laughs> but anyway. No, I like that. It makes the, the screening feel more like an event. Yeah. I always talk about how there's a movie channel called TCM. That, and I'm sure a lot of people know that I used to watch a lot of, especially with my dad. And they have introductions before the films. And I used to mm-hmm. love it. And I wish the cinemas do that more. So I like that idea. Yeah. Um, And then I'm going to go through like two more of my cinemas. So one of the rooms in my cinema will be a co-op room is what I'm calling it. So most of the time it will be the moviegoers will vote on the movie that's going to play. But sometimes it will be a mystery movie. So you buy a ticket to the seven o'clock showing of the mystery movie and you show up, you don't know what it is. Mm. And it could be Minions. It could be Casablanca. You don't know. But everyone's kind of there for the fun of it. And I feel like it would get very campy. Like people would be like, we just paid $7 to come see the Minions. But then (laughs) I feel like you'd always find it more funny than if you like knew what you were getting into. Of course. Or find it more dramatic if you were preparing yourself for a drama, if that makes any sense. Uh, A couple more things. You have to buy the tickets there. There's no online ticketing. Okay. Um, So you might get there. Oh, shoot. This is sold out. You have to go to... Another movie, which is like, that sucks. Why would you want that? But I've liked that in the past. When I go to the cinema, there would be no room. You mm. have to go see another movie. Or you change your mind at the last minute. There's no room for that if you're buying your tickets in advance. And then one of my other rooms is going to be kind of retro-themed. So I want it to be very, palpy isn't the word, Blade Runner. 80s. In a cinema. 80s. Okay. Yeah. So not necessarily 80s in America, but just 80s around the world, kind of a vibe, the 80s. Because I feel like that was kind of the movie heyday. So what kind of things? Got to have 3D glasses, like okay. red and blue 3D <laughs> even glasses. For, even for 2D films? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but this is where you'd see, anyway, it would just be like all the, it doesn't, like the th- movies you watch in the theater doesn't have to be 80s themed. Right. But it could just be, give you the energy of the 80s or give you the energies of a time gone by. And it's neon lights. Okay. I know it's like I keep bringing up lights, but I feel like just having white lights come up and down is boring. So it turns it's like a black light. 
Mm. So everything you're wearing is white, it's glowing. Just, yeah. Not overly 80s, but maybe there's like 80s themed food or something like that. I actually like your idea for decorating the rooms aside from just black. I know that for the absolute best immersive cinematic experience, mm -hmm. um, obviously we want all the lights off and the screen to be the only thing of focus, but oftentimes I'm, I'm thinking for the types of movies that maybe you're looting for this specific room anyway, it's not all about just watching it and listening to it in the most pure, um, immersive way possible, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about other things. I'm reminded of House of House on Haunted Hill, the original um, horror movie that we both have seen and enjoy is kind of funny and there's like campy tricks throughout the film. And when it was screened, the director, his name escapes me, um, or maybe the producer had kind of a gimmick, which was that a skeleton would come from the back of the cinema on mm -hmm. like a wire and go all the way down and people would get terrified and yeah. things like that. So it doesn't have to be just all pitch black. There can be other um, visual flares, I guess, mm -hmm. that I think is, is interesting. Yeah. So my inspiration for all this, we watched the Muppet movie recently. Yeah. Um, at Disney World, up until recently, there was the Muppet Theater. Have you ever heard of this? No. Because the Muppet Theater, you go in and it's a movie, or it's probably like 20 minutes. But the characters, so you just go in, it looks like a normal theater. You sit in the seats, you think you're going to watch a movie, but then the characters will like walk out of the screen and like walk around the Whoa. crowd, and they'll throw things at you. And there's, I remember one point there was like bubbles falling from the ceiling, <laughs> because it's like, I don't like, I've gone to a few 5D cinemas, I don't love it when it's just the seat shaking. But this one obviously would be very customizable, but this is where the people would come in, like mm. having humans work it, <laughs> throw water on the gas, like just some fun things that make it a little bit more of an experience. And like you can make it your own. Like it could be a movie that people have watched. It could be just like Spider-Man that's like, well, it wasn't intended to be viewed like this, but we're going to blow wind on them at a certain point when Spidey's like... <laughs> flying through the air i just think oh we're gonna set loose a cage of tarantulas yeah yeah that's the idea um that it's the fun of it it's to make it a little bit more there's a reason to go to the cinema mm. because obviously that's a thing nowadays yeah people are looking for reasons mm -hmm. and not really finding them i yeah. also think with the design it's it's just quite a beautiful idea even if the lights roll off and you can't see anything of the walls or the stained glass or the ceiling during the screening it's a nice idea that it's going to look nice anyway. Mm -hmm. It's like the back of the, the back of the cupboard. Mm -hmm. You know that saying? Yeah. It's like a good carpenter makes sure the back is even, even though he's the only one who sees it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that. And also, I mean, when you're walking in, you do see it. And when you're walking out, you, yeah. you see it. Like when the lights come on during the credits, it'll be nice to not be in like this industrial cave-like. Yeah. <laughs> one of my least favorite feelings is leaving a theater. Mm. My favorite feeling is going to the theater, but I think... Nine times out of ten when I'm leaving it, I'm like, oh. That's a good point. It's just like, uh, like, sad it's over. Now I'm going back out into the daylight despite sitting in the dark for three hours. Like, just make it a little bit more pleasant. And then a few more flares just to wrap it up. I think there should be a bowling alley attached to the cinema. Now it's kind of irrelevant, but I like when there's bowling at theaters. <laughs> Our theater at home had a bowling alley right next door, so like, same effect. I don't really love the arcade vibe. But, you know, just, I like when it's a whole place. Multiple things you can do there, like a mole. Yeah. I think that's nice. And healthy snacks. You and I have been talking about this for a very long time. <laughs> like, I like popcorn a lot, but sometimes you're hungry and you don't, like, popcorn really isn't going to do the trick. So, 
just having healthy foods would be excellent. And the final thing is I had the idea for speakers in the, in the floor and the ceiling. I don't know if that's already a thing. I know there's surround sound, but I like the idea. I like when you're watching a movie and it sounds like the sound's coming from the back corner and everyone like turns. Yeah, Have yeah, you ever yeah. had that happen in the theater? Yeah, it was just stereo sound. Yeah, but I think just like even more intense sometimes, like spatial audio. Just feeling absolutely vibrated yeah. by it, like when you watch Dune. Yeah, oh my nice. goodness, yeah, it's like the floor is shaking. <laughs> but I love that idea. So I think our theaters would have a lot more interesting speakers. Can I um, suggest another themed room? I'm not sure if you had any more. No, that was all. Aquarium room. Okay. Fish swimming around. For underwater movies? Maybe. Okay. Just, I think that would be kind of neat, like real fish swimming around in the walls and stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, each theater could have its own... Of course. ...attraction. Another one is some of my favorite buildings I've ever heard of and briefly studied in university are these Renaissance ones in um, these Renaissance theaters in Italy that were built like 500 or so years ago. And they have really nice, ornate, kind of painted ceilings, even mm -hmm. though obviously everyone's looking forward. So it could be something like that, maybe in the classical room. Yeah, outdoor theater. Ooh. Like, so many ideas. Stone theater. Stone like, theater. you can only watch sword and sandal movies in these. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that there's so much room for ideas. I mean, even, even scaling it down, because the cinema that I chose, I kind of thought that you might go for something really big Grand. like this, with multiple yeah. rooms. The one that I chose is more like a... A smaller scale cinema to yeah. show that in the solo scene there's a variation right. of these I things. Think there is. But also, even if it's just a one room thing, mm. it can just be like um, there's fast food places that are themed after one thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like we're the dinosaur place and everything's like Jurassic themed. Mm -hmm. There could be that for cinemas. I think mm -hmm. that'd be really neat. It's like I'm going to go to a spooky place mm -hmm. and it's not just on Halloween that it puts up some decorations, it's just always the horror yeah. movie themed. And you know, they have their own set of characters and design and that's really neat. Yeah. I'm not sure how how much of a good business plan that is to only show one type of movie, but in the solo scene, obviously, everyone's such a movie fiend. But yeah. Well, I wasn't picturing it always just one movie. Like, it could be... No, not one movie, but I mean one type of movie. No, no. I know what you mean. But I just think, yeah, make it your own. Like, if you, the owner of this theater, really like the Renaissance, make it a Renaissance-themed cinema like visually and doesn't you don't have to show just those movies but just making the rooms interesting is the backbone of my idea nice so i mentioned a few things about mine in the poem which is just the different types of movies that i think we should be showing mm -hmm. so the smaller one that i'm kind of uh, illustrating the design for i think it should aim to show movies that aren't readily available on streaming mm -hmm. so that that's the reason that people come to it and i think overall rather than being a multi-purpose thing if it was I mean, it's still multi-purpose, but it's also very deliberately focused on movies. Mm -hmm. So it's like the other things that you do there, maybe they have a gift shop because I was thinking about <gasps> museums. I like that idea. And something that I really enjoy that sounds so like consumeristic about uh, museums is perusing the gift shop. Even though we rarely buy anything. It's, always, it's just nice to see. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's usually after or before you spend an hour or two moving around so somberly in a way that you can't get too close to the things or mm -hmm. touch them at the gift shop there's more of like a physicality to it mm -hmm. and you can relax a little bit more it's similar in movies i mean you're sitting still and you can't really obviously you can't touch a screen and you can't really interact with anything in the room basically mm -hmm. so i think if there was a gift shop not only could the could the cinema build more of a sense of place and personality through the things that they mm -hmm. sell there or offer 
but also yeah for the people coming that's just a more another space to kind of act in a little bit of a different way that you would when you're actually watching the movie yeah it reminds me of the disney stores they used to be in malls across north america and maybe <laughs> across the world like we would never buy anything there because it was all just like crazy expensive <laughs> but both of us agree that it was one of our favorite things to do just walk around there because it felt like you're in a little slice of disney world even if you're just in the mall so i kind of picture it like that so yeah i was thinking we could sell dvds and blu-rays here that could be I don't posters know, posters for, oh the, for the films like specific things for the films that we we show mm-hmm. saying we because i of course will be the proprietor of this <laughs> place. um another thing because i was really trying to think of it as a community center but not in the way exactly that a mall is even though i think those are great in the solo scene but I, you kind of covered a lot of that mm-hmm. so like a smaller place it could have a a, a genuine club like mm. the cinema club and it's kind of funny because cineplex which is the big chain in canada has a movie club mm-hmm. but it's just one of those corporate memberships where you get a discount i'm not talking about that although there might be something like that where you get a, a mm-hmm. multi pass or something but mm-hmm. i mean like a real club where i don't know if you have to pay to join but it's a way of organizing yourself with other people who um you can see why i'm creating this one is just for my own benefit mm-hmm. because i'm always looking for a movie club around here a way of organizing yourself with like-minded people so you can learn more have fun watch mm-hmm. some cool movies and it's a place it's a social place yeah. to be I was also thinking there could be a studio with equipment for making films. You mentioned community input about what we play and when we play it. I think that's a, that's a great idea. I was thinking maybe not so focused on the health as you were, but definitely different local food vendors within mm-hmm. either depending on the size of the space, either like rotating so you're here for 3 months and then, you know, we're trying something new or just having multiple different booths there. What kind of foods would you want? Well, if anyone read Field Notes, you know my love of tacos in movies. I don't know why. I might have been just one isolated experience, but I <laughs> love the idea of eating a taco while I at the movies because they're so filling but small. Um, fries, honestly. I think fries too. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, we're always talking about this. Fries should have much more of a street presence. Just yeah, in there's terms cafes of being... everywhere. Right. Where are the fries? And there's ice cream everywhere. Yeah. Never any fries. I mean, popcorn's great, and obviously that should be the staple, but mm-hmm. I think there should also be different types of popcorn. Maybe most cinemas have this, but again, I'm just kind of uh, frustrated with Cineplex's limited <laughs> offerings, but there should be like kettle corn, and maybe for people who like the, um, is it barbecue stuff, or like spicy popcorn, that's a yeah. thing. Uh, there should be something like that. What do you think about like healthy? Well, I don't know. I was just thinking like meals, like granola. Granola's a good idea. Granola bars of some sort, smoothies. Mm. Like those aren't like super healthy things, but just filling, substantial, I guess is what I meant. I was also thinking there could be trivia nights or movie themed dances. That's a cool idea. Where it's like we're gonna dance as if it's like in Karate Kid when Yeah, dresses dressing up. As, up. Exactly. There could be like costume dances. There could be one of those dances where they have the movie playing and everyone's like jamming yeah. out like that. Not too crazy, but just sing alongs. Sing alongs, fun things. Yeah. Like we're we're doing a musical. Everyone bring, like, you give out a songbook or something. Yeah, so fun. Do you think, I have two ideas. What if, like, kids under 12 get in free or something like that? Yeah. You want to you attract the children to the cinema experience. Yeah, not just the children, but I think that it's really been a, a sad thing for, for teens, especially, and young yeah. adults, the lack of spaces, mm-hmm. local spaces, that is. And another idea that I had for mine, I, don't, I feel like it goes along with yours based on your poem, do you think there should be movies playing all day? Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, it depends on the running of the thing. Like, you don't want to be a 24-hour cinema. And mm. Considering most of them will probably close at around 1 or 2 in the morning. Yeah. Well, I don't think 7 a.m., but I think, like, lunch yeah. onwards. Because sometimes it's the middle of the day and it's kind of gross. And you're like, I want to go to the movies. There's nothing on until 7. Well, the good thing about this place is that you can go there and not even watch a movie. Yeah. That's what I like about it. There's other things. Mm. There's other things. Like Movie-related. Maybe you can make a movie. Maybe they're showing short movies, short films, mm-hmm. or something like that. Cool. And the final thing I was thinking was a volunteer newsletter that just Ooh. like comes out of it. It could either be affiliated with the club that I mentioned, or maybe some of the classes, or it's just a run by the cinema, like outlining all the things that they have going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that idea. Yeah, that lends well into my answer for a third question, but I'll save it for then. It's like part cinema, but also part school. We're trying to bring through. People who are going to be like tomorrow's critics and filmmakers and actors and things like this. That's a fun idea because it's not really spaces like that unless it's the actual, the play theater, like the the theater troops. Exactly. It's like a film troupe. Yeah. Film troupe. Cool. You're the lead trooper. Well, someone's got to do it. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite story of a country, Aaron? Um... You know what? I've been thinking about that question a lot this week. You have? And I realized my geography and my world history is lacking, to say the least. Mm. But I remember when we went to Mexico and we watched this um, like outdoor recreation, like historical, uh, not a play, but historical show, let's say, that was yeah. about the pirates, mm-hmm. conquistadors. There was some seafaring, some conquering, some gold coins involved, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I just invented that part. <laughs> but I enjoyed that, so I'll say Mexico. Like and Mexico City Mexico. has a really cool founding story, right? I don't know much about world okay. history either. <laughs> so our question for this week was, what's up about the history and stories of countries? Yeah. Because it seems like there's a disparity between the facts of like this is what happened and the story that people kind of embody we're thinking american dream we're thinking pride in the flag these types of things like where does it come from is it manufactured etc etc i realized also that we should maybe make a better effort in wording our questions as actual (laughs) questions because this one i mean you said what's up with the stories of countries (laughs) that wasn't even the question the question that we said last week was just the story of countries. <laughs> so we should try and start with who, what, when, where, why, or is, or do, or something okay. like that. Cool. But yeah, so that was kind of where you took this. It sounds very suspicious. It sounds very like, oh, the American dream was a lie told to us and stuff like this. I was just thinking more about how the, I mean, I actually broke it down into two questions. So of one course. was, um, in the solo scene, what does it mean to have pride in your country? Mm-hmm. And the other one was, how is nationality narrativized? Which is maybe just a catchier version of the story of countries. (laughs) Um, I understand also that this question has potential for us to stray into political or like hot topic areas in which our podcast isn't really the best focused. (laughs) We talked a little bit in degrowth about identity and place. So Mm -hmm. this is just a continuation of that on a national scale and with the the recognized symbologies. At least Mm -hmm. that's why I I kind of consider the question. Yeah. So my first thought for answering this question was my understanding of the narratives of countries. It's hard, like there's no word for it really besides history. history. 
which I like in French. Histoire is like, it means story. Yeah, I mean, even in English, it's, yeah. most of the word is just story. Yeah, exactly. So to me, I remember growing up. So when I was really young, I was like, oh, these are just a bunch of manufactured stereotypes about countries. I just thought it was kind of, this is the cynical five-year-old. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, France and its baguettes and its berets and Canada and its beavers and its maple. And I just thought it was all basically cartoons. Like I, don't, I wasn't cynical. I was very young. But I remember thinking these are just kind of the cartoon versions of what people think these places are like. It has no founding it's, and it has no embodiment. Yeah. And then I reached a point where I started learning about history and I learned about, oh, this is why the beaver is a symbol for Canada. This is why people think that the French are like this. But then now that I'm 23, I feel like I've realized people not only, it's not only like a founding for these stereotypes, they're true or they have, they have weight. Like mm. I thought they had no weight when I was young, but now I realize people actually do identify with these things. And it's not a bad thing. It's not like the French wearing berets is a bad thing or Canadians being proud of themselves for being polite is a bad thing. But it's, I realize, oh, this actually has power over the people and how they live their lives is these identities and these like stories that they've been told about their history, their role in the world wars. It's like a big thing that we learn in high school, middle school, like all through our education in Canada is yep. Canada's role in the world wars and in conflicts throughout history other than the world wars. And people actually take pride in that. And I just didn't understand it because I was like, but you weren't there, but I now kind of get it a little bit more. And well, we did something in elementary school called the Heritage Fair. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about this before that you didn't do it or something. Yeah, I didn't Because your do school it. didn't do it, but it was pretty much a national event, mm -hmm. at least provincial in Nova Scotia, which was you had to make a project about something related to Canada. Mm -hmm. And it was probably the coolest I felt, like the warmest I felt towards the idea of Canada, because you get to see all these other, because they're, they're topics chosen by kids from age seven to 11, mm -hmm. you get to see more interesting things like smaller and more niche and to the side and even modern things that mm -hmm. typically um, when you think about Canada's story. So you think about like the maple leaf, the beaver, Terry Fox, the wars, the colonization, mm -hmm. you know, its relationship to England. It's more textbooky. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the heritage fair, I was like, oh, this kid in my class did one on Smarties. Mm -hmm. Like one of the founders of, one of the creators of Superman, I think it was, is Canadian. And I yeah. did mine on Wolverine, the comic book character. Cool. So like there's all this other stuff that, I do think, you know what I'm talking about? Like the story of a country doesn't have to be just the, the main line, most important mm -hmm. wars and things. There's also all these other branches that might, might better um, be kind of gateway interest to you to then start following, oh, really? Where did he come from? And, you know, what's mm -hmm. this place? Like that kind of. Yeah. Um, what I was kind of getting at with all of this was as you got to, finding your actual relation to the story of your country. Yeah. Because the story that we're told, basically, that it's in the national anthem, in the flag, and whatever, as we've learned, especially in Canada lately, very untrue, very skewed to glorify certain groups of people. And I feel like it's not ideal. But even ignoring that, like as a kid, I, I didn't have your cynicism. I wasn't mm -hmm. like, oh, that's all a lie and these whites and everything. Like I wasn't <laughs> thinking like that. I just thought it was boring. 
Mm. Like that's the thing. So when I saw about Smarties and Wolverine and yeah. like I just thought that was more interesting. So even disregarding mm. the the correctness or the maybe insidious nature that some of this stuff has been uh, told or certain parts ignored mm. and watered down or whitewashed or whatever it may be, it can be boring, I think. Mm -hmm. And also that's the way that we are introduced to it is in a boring way. Like mm -hmm. it's not the case that I'm sure there are some kids like you who are like, oh, these colonizers in class or whatever. <laughs> um, but almost all the kids are just bored by it mm -hmm. because it's relayed to them in a way that's dates and names and places and very flashcards and mm -hmm. just uninteresting. Yeah. I mean, even to this day that persists in me where I say, I would really like to learn about history. And then like when I'm walking around Canada or hearing about Canadian history, I'm like some other history than this. Mm. But in, really there's no reason why like you should be more bored with your own country's history or your own place's history than mm. you are with global. I mean, there's the familiarity. So it's like, it's less exotic, but for the most part, you should be just as interested. But I think, and it's not just a Canadian thing or a me thing. Most people are probably quite um, interested more in other cultures histories than they are in their own mm -hmm. and I think it's because of the way it's introduced to us yeah so I have two examples that I wanted to share for just ideas around this the first is Montreal relevant because that's where we live but Montreal I don't know too much about its history however walking around you begin to realize that there were two very pivotal events in Montreal history recent history that shaped its entire identity for the last 50 years and that would be the World Expo in 1967 and then the Olympics in 1970. Because the other day I was on the Metro with a group of people and they said, did you know that this was built for the World Expo as a, it was an exhibit basically, the whole Metro system. And it basically hasn't changed since then. So in 50, 60 years, it's just remained the exact same. And so that like was kind of shocking to me because I realized this was just basically one man's idea and now it just shapes how millions of people move around every day. And same with the Olympics that happened here. It's like there's these cafes called Cafe Olympico. And it's like thousands of people pass through these doors every day. And it's named after this one event in yeah. history. And it's like ever since those two events, Montreal has held a place in the minds of Canadians as this very forward, very global place. And it's kind of come to manifest itself as such. It's a very diverse community and it's a very happening place. Yeah. Whereas I feel like perhaps before that, it was just a little bit more quaint, a little bit more Quebecois. Now it's just a very global city. Right. Um, and then my second example is from my hometown. We're going to take it really local here because <laughs> I feel like it's easy to talk about on a small and personal scale. But I really hated where I grew up until I was, I'll say, 15. And I just was like, why would anyone ever want to live here? Like, <laughs> I really, really didn't like it. And it wasn't because of anything in particular. It was just I felt so trapped, as you do when you have no car, no everything so sprawled, you can't get anywhere. And then I remember, like, growing up until that point, this turning point that I'll talk about, I grew up in a county which was then broken down into six towns. And I remember being like, how are these people? They're always like, oh, the people from this town and this town are like this. But I was like, no, they're not. We all go to the same high school. Yeah. Like, there's one high school for all six towns. And it just didn't make any sense to me. And then I was like, oh, it must be from when it was a little bit more local. It must be historical that people are still like, oh, the people from here are like this and so on. Mm -hmm. But then you reach the point where you realize people actually are 
different in all these different places. This one's a little more crime-ridden. This one's a little more posh. <laughs> it was a very dramatic place. Oh, my. Um, everyone hated the people from this town. Everyone liked the people from this town. They're nice. They're whatever. They're the miners. And it's just like... Miners, E-R-S. Yes. Because yeah. <laughs> I come from a mining town. Uh, that was mine. And then I went to this forum when I was 15, I believe. I was in grade 9 or 10. And it was called Bridging the Gap Forum. So it was at this local YMCA that had just been built. And it was a really big achievement for the town to build such a big space that would kind of act as a community hub for all six towns, whereas before everyone had their own ranks, their own pools, their own whatever. And so we went to this space and we had this conversation. It was about bridging intergenerational gaps, so like different age groups, not just across the towns. But it ended up, to me, what I learned was that these people who are like embodying their histories, it's not a bad thing. It's not like they're defining their identity by their town. It's like, it's a good thing. And it can lend to an interesting community development when you actually see each other for who they are, not just for their town identities. Right. Which is like a very basic life lesson of like, don't just see someone as a Canadian, see them as like a person. <laughs> but on such a small scale, you make, it makes you realize how much we kind of internalize these stereotypes and make <laughs> decisions based on people's, where they come from and mm. the stories that they believe. Because you and I are both not very nationalist people. Yeah. Like we don't, like I don't really identify as like a Canadian. I'm not like, oh, I'm really nice and I'm really into maple syrup, despite maple syrup being my favorite food. And you being really nice. <laughs> but it's like, I don't, I don't identify as that. And I always was kind of didn't understand when people did identify with their place. And then this event kind of made me realize just being in conversation with other people. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking about the specifics of local, like local history in both those examples, your mm -hmm. small town and also in Montreal. Yeah. And I think that might be more, more tangible and, and more appealing and more understandable. Maybe it's just that because you can actually talk to the people from the local towns. You can actually go mm -hmm. to the Olympic stadium or it's cafes or the expo. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you, when you're in history class, Canadian history in high school, you are learning about places that you've never seen, obviously mm -hmm. people who are long gone. And it's all just seems so distant, I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is just because Canada is such a huge country. It's true. Maybe in smaller countries, people have more of a connection to it. Yeah. But I do think that part of the way that I've kind of thought about in the solo scene, nationality should be narrativized if it is to be. Is through local thinking and local identity, as we yeah. talked about a lot in our degrowth series. But i.e., we're viewing the nation more as a triumph of all these smaller um, mm -hmm. societies basically coming together under mm -hmm. one flag and yeah. working together. I mean, that's like the United States, and obviously that doesn't seem to be uh, working out in the finest way, but it's, yeah. it's worked worked out. And yeah. um, I think being able to retain some of the local identity as like a proxy between me, the individual, and me, the Canadian. Because right now, I think we are either asked or kind of um, assumed to directly go from the individual to the nation mm -hmm. in, in terms of our identity. And it's a bit awkward and the distance is so big that it mm -hmm. doesn't really work that well. Or yeah. we kind of fill it with some other thing like um, I'm an individual. I work at Amazon and they're a, you know, they have the headquarters here or mm -hmm. like I'm an individual. 
I'm part of this political party and that's this. Yeah. So just that, that in-between thing should be filled mm -hmm. more with municipal. It doesn't have to be politics. It can just be culture, as you were talking about. Um, but politics is a good example because when you vote, you're voting, um, or you should be voting, I think, primarily for the people who are close to you, right? Like your mm -hmm. municipal and provincial leaders. And then when you see it either on TV or you just hear about it on the national stage, it's like, hey, that's the guy I voted for. I know him. I've spoken to him. He's on this table with all these other people. So, mm -hmm. so he's like the proxy for me. We're all working together and we're all mm -hmm. Canadian. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking just like, just a small thing about the iconography, for instance, the beaver, the maple leaf, even the font for Canada, or like the, the colors, yeah. is that we shouldn't emojify everything. Like the beaver or the maple leaf on the flag doesn't look like a maple leaf because it looks like it was made in Microsoft Paint or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I know they used to have the one that was all like curly kind of. Mm -hmm. And I think that's realer. And beavers that we see are always like cartoon beavers. Yeah, they don't 2D look like, like Yeah, they stamps. don't look like real beavers. And the Canada red is, we were saying it's like, we don't see the red anywhere. That's not, that's just not a real thing. It seems very um, gift shoppy. A little bit too touristy. Yeah, there's also something I've been thinking about a lot lately. It's kind of relevant to this in that I feel like we feel like everything's fixed, whereas it's yeah. like everything's so recent. Like the Canadian flag is like, yeah, from the sixties. I mean, Canada is a very young country, but I yeah, know. exactly. But it's like, so in our head, we're like, this is the Canada flag. It sucks. We can never change it. But it's like <laughs> it's so new, and like everything's new. Everything's been changed, and we act like nothing's ever been changed. We act like the countries that exist in the world will always exist. Right. But it's like they've only existed, like Canada's only been this size since 1999, the last territory <laughs> joined. And it's like, that's when I was born. So <laughs> I don't know. We just need to be a little bit more open with the idea of countries. And I feel like in the solo scene, that will be the case. I think there'll be a lot of strong identities and people will see their part in the story of their country or their community more likely mm -hmm. yeah. a lot more. Um, but there'll also be a bit more lubrication to like move around. Whereas right now it feels like, well, I'm a Canadian, so I have to move to one of these provinces. I can't move to another country. It's just like there'll be a little bit more of a culture of exploration, perhaps. Yeah, I like what you said about identifying with the stories. That was kind of my conclusion for taking pride in your country, because that's a yeah. word. Again, I don't want to get into it too much because this isn't an episode about patriotism or nationalism, but mm -hmm. that's something that I've always found a little bit incongruous, not just with my own feelings, but with those of most people, that when they say pride, they mean gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's like you're grateful for your country because of all these great things it's done yeah. or offers. You're not prideful in like the way it got here or whatever. Yeah, I mean, because that had nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. You didn't do all those things. So I think two things. In the solo scene, we will be doing more of those things. So mm -hmm. you can feel more pride because I am the one keeping the streets clean or something mm -hmm. like that, or who proposed the new flag design if mm -hmm. not for the country then for the town mm -hmm. and also uh yeah we'll be identifying with the stories and it's not just always i mean it could be like the boring textbook story but it's told to us in a cooler way because mm -hmm. like history that just is a story like history class should be like storytelling class yeah but it somehow it never is yeah so i had a question for next week yeah along these lines and it was which matters more the story or the facts when it comes to history. And I know that's like kind of what we talked about today, but I think we should have a little bit more of a discussion about it next week. Yeah, we can. Speaking of facts. Spit them. Organism of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
I got confused by my own transition there. What the? So, hopefully that can be picked up. Would you like to guess what it is? Or rather, when it was? It does look like some kind of a prehistoric mm. cactus plant. That's true. It is thing. prehistoric. Wooden so tree. So, this um, plant doesn't have a colloquial name, only the Latin name, mm. which was William Sonia Suadiania. Mm. Eloquent. Think. Yeah, well said. Um, it was around in the Cretaceous period. Oh, what? here he goes again about the Cretaceous period. <laughs> Not the Cretaceous period, like you always say. Um, so it's interesting that you mention the Muppets earlier in this episode. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do... There's two things. I don't want to derail the episode and also... I don't want to divulge some of my secret plans for, for the future. But we love the Muppets and Sesame Street and just puppetry in general. We mm -hmm. think it's a, it's a cool, but they have these cast of characters. So we're thinking if that could somehow be prehistoric. So I went for the Cretaceous period. Cretaceous. Cretaceous. Cretaceous period. You have me saying it now as well. <laughs> and this is a plant that, of course, has only been found as a fossil. It's been found all over the world, including in Brazil, in England. Vancouver, New Mexico, and this particular plant was found in India, which at the time, in the Cretaceous, Cretaceous period, when, it was, when the plant was around, India was still detached because mm. of Pangaea and whatnot. And William Sonia, which is the first uh, word in the species name for this, is a family of plants that was part of a whole order of plants, that's like the higher classification, mm -hmm. called Benetitalis, which is entirely extinct. So I thought that was cool. It's not just one extinct species. It's like a whole group of plants that whole was extinct. Order of, because yeah. at the end of the Cretaceous period, something like three quarters of plant or animal species just went mm -hmm. away. And I always think that's really, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it just seemed historical, history, story, seemed, seemed relevant. Yeah, thank you for sharing this organism with us. Do you want to describe... Did I describe it very no, well? No, you didn't. For those didn't. listening? So it's a stick, a round, round trunk with these feather-like looking leaves on it. Yeah. So basically they found have, they have found different parts of the plant. Mm -hmm. They found fossils of the leaves and of the, uh, the, in, the inside um, cones, okay. essentially. And they kind of assembled this drawing based off the, mm -hmm. some of the details and the fact that Biologically, the plant seems like it's similar to a certain order that's, that is still around today. Mm -hmm. So the description said it had a, a sturdy stem and multiple fern-like leaves. Okay. So My go. description wasn't that off. It wasn't. Yeah. So for the final part of this episode is something that I'm weirdly excited about. <laughs> because you were like, oh, good luck with that. Coming up with a new medium for storytelling. However, I realized this is something I think about all the time. I didn't say it so like disparagingly. No, that. you didn't. I just said, oh, have fun. Because like I was saying, I was sharing it because I was like, humans have been around for however many thousands of yeah. years. So us trying to just say, this week we can come up with new mediums of storytelling. Yeah. It was funny and I was trying to recognize that. No, I know. But then I realized there's these, you know those thoughts that aren't like fully formed in your head? They're just, they kind of like happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized that often when I'm walking around, I have these very, very fleeting concept like ideas come to mind and I realize that this is the topic that these ideas are on so for example I always picture like it's like I have like 
VR goggles on and then like things like projected into the real world. I think what you're saying is, I think what you're just <laughs> describing is thought. I think you're just saying that you think. <laughs> but they're not thoughts. That was like, such an indoor kid way of describing it. They're very visual. It's, it's like I have VR goggles on and I'm projecting things onto the real world. That just means thinking. Uh, that just means thoughts. They're just, I, they're visual ideas. Okay, yes, yes. Visual ideas. Sure. That's what I'll call them. So not mental ideas of like sound coming out of different places and like words scrawling. So I have two ideas for the new medium. I'm going to go with my main one. The other one maybe I won't even talk about. But we've kind of touched on it a little bit this week. And it's the idea of a community bulletin. So it's going to be a very sci-fi technology that doesn't exist in this format. So it's going to be everyone who wants to owns a notebook. But the notebook is linked to everyone else's notebook no. in, in a small radius. No. This is what you says? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're the same. Almost exactly. So it's linked to a small radius. It's not linked to everyone in the world. And then you write in it and people can contribute. I have a few ideas. You have to vote on erasing things from it. So people aren't just like scrolling like profane doodles in it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like they're... Things are kind of permanent, but they can be erased. And then a few more ideas I had for it was that, so you're moving around. So I'm living here right now, but I'm going to move 50 kilometers in a different direction. So that means I'll start picking up new stories and new ideas and contributing to new ideas. And then I also had the idea that when a notebook is completed, so like, you know, when you finish a notebook, um, there could be a vote by the community that's a part of it to publish it to other places. Okay. So like... The stories will be super localized. That's kind of a theme this week of like localization of storytelling. Um, so it could just be a history, it could be an idea, it could be whatever. But then maybe you really are proud of this one notebook and you want it published. So there'd be some kind of central authority that distributes them for other people to read in like a hard copy. But it's just, yeah, this idea of community story building. So it's a touchscreen. That's why I said it was a futuristic technology because I picture it being very, very... Just like you're writing in a, in a book. Yeah, that's not so. so futuristic. I guess a touchscreen. Yeah, it's kind of like those paper. That's exactly what I was thinking. Things. Those paper binders or notepads that mm -hmm. some kids in university had, which when you wrote on them, somehow the notes were digitized. Yeah. Or did you have to take a picture of them? No, I think you could. It would digitize. Digi digitize right? That was what I was inspired by when I was like really young. We still had our computer room at home. Um, I hated typing. I mean, I was a kid, so like obviously I wasn't a big fan of typing. But my mom came across this thing where you would write and then it would type it for you. Yeah. But I could never get it to work because it was 2006 and <laughs> this was not a very elaborate technology, but I was like inspired by that. Um, yeah. That sounds good. But what kind of stories are you envisioning people That's the thing. putting on there? There'd have to be some kind of... Because when you said, oh, we wouldn't want it to be just profane doodles, I think it would be. And no, also, I mean, I in the solo scene, the people obviously aren't so profane and they're... Maybe it would be all Shakespearean. I don't know. Yeah. So here's the thing. I realized that there's some pitfalls because we have basically Wattpad and then the Amazon self-publishing feature, which is almost a version of this. And it's all just things that I don't think should be written in these community bulletins, <laughs> to say the least. Well, I'm thinking also about uh, what's that app called? Yik Yak. Yeah. That was around for such a brief time in mm -hmm. our high school. For, for my school, it was famously one morning. And mm. so it was banned by the school, um, yeah. which was an app where people could basically just, 
was very local, like you said. Mm -hmm. It was like everyone in the school was on one server or like sharing it or something. Yeah. And it was just all vitriol. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how would we make sure it wouldn't be like that? Or is it so the solo sites? I feel like the solo sites like aren't like that. They'd, yeah. they'd see the artistic merits of this medium. Mm. And they would be like, oh, I can't wait to go on there and contribute to this story or add an idea or whatever. And it would just be a little bit nicer. And it could be funny. Like it could be comedy it could be serious it could be whatever but i think it would just reflect the people okay. and it'd be like when you're on your ds and you would message people locally like that wasn't so bad it wasn't like yeah no, yeah because no. yeah. okay. you're a bit more earnest people will be more earnest in the solo scene so you don't want to mention your second idea my second idea is very unflushed out but it's like an escape room mm -hmm. mixed with a bit of vr in that, because I I really don't like VR. Like, I know I've mentioned it a few times in this episode, but I really don't like it. Um, but this would be not a headset, but like a projection on the walls, perhaps, or objects that can kind of be manipulated. And it's like, I guess an escape room is like the idea. So AR, augmented reality. Yeah, something like that. And it could be one of the rooms in my cinema would be like this. You go in. It's set up in a new story that you're kind of taking part of. Maybe there's actors, maybe there's projections. Because I know it's like, you can't always have actors in there. But perhaps in the soul scene, that would be a meaningful job. Of like, yeah, I want to be in this AR room. Like, yep. people might want to do that as like a job. And so I think some kind of, yeah, more physical storytelling. But you're involved. I always thought that I like the choose your own adventure stories. I like the Rocky horror picture show viewings when people are yelling not that i've been but like i've heard yeah like some stuff like that but a little bit more the person who's composing the story knows that that's how it will be experienced yeah i like that i remember i think it was microsoft on one of their exhibits one of their uh, stage shows they were displaying um the ar technology and they had minecraft just on a table mm -hmm. and the guy was like building minecraft blocks just with his hands yeah is minecraft a medium Perhaps. It is. It kind yeah. of is like Plato, right? Whether it's a medium for storytelling, I haven't played enough Minecraft to know mm -hmm. whether people include narratives. So mine, as Alicia already described, is uh, is very similar technology to hers, except mine exists. Of it's, course. I was basing it off of a technology that Nintendo used on their 3DS portable uh, game console, which was introduced in 2011 called Street Pass, which was basically if mm -hmm. your device is connected, it has Wi-Fi on, doesn't need to be connected to Wi-Fi, and you pass someone else's device just on the street. I think the radius was like, I don't know, maybe 50 meters or something like that. Mm -hmm. It could be more, it could be less. You kind of get a ding if they have street pass turned on. And you can then kind of share things. Like you can share Mies, you can play games against each other. Mies were the avatars, obviously, for the um, DS. So it's like an avatar of yourself. You could um, even play games that maybe you didn't have on your device, but they did which mm -hmm. is kind of neat. So I was thinking it could be like this. It didn't have, doesn't have to be a separate device. It could just be an app on your phone maybe. Mm -hmm. But my intention for this was that it's, story, it's storytelling and it's connectivity um, born digitally, but the aim is to bring it into the real life. Because mm -hmm. if you pass each other in real life, then the likelihood is that you don't live that far away from each other, so you actually could meet up. And if you both have one of these things, like let's say two people have a 3DS, they're mm -hmm. likely to like each other mm -hmm. more so than if just one person has a 3DS and one person doesn't. Like, yeah, it's already something in common. Exactly. Um, yeah. So it, 
I, I think you could even filter it to be specific things like age or interests. Mm-hmm. It's like a dating app, but for friends and portable was kind mm-hmm. of how I was thinking about it. And I had a few kind of softwares or ideas for how it could be made into the real world and also how it could be storytelling. So the first one, I'm tentatively calling it best case scenario. Okay. And this is, um, it's kind of like what you were saying where you just write This is you document or post your best case scenario for the day or the Mm. week or the month or whatever it may be. Um, And it's kind of like a manifestation that way. Like people say you should journal the things, Mm -hmm. but you're putting it out into the, into the virtual ether and anyone you pass can get inspired by it Mm. or cheer you on or something. Obviously you wouldn't want to write something super personal because then people you pass on the street will know like, Oh, I really want to clean my underwear today. And they're like, yeah. oh, someone's going to yell out like, you can do it, take them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about? I think that that's a yeah. nice positive thing. And there would be moderation or maybe just the software only allows for positivity or something like this. Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, I think people are just graffiti, sad faces everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one I was thinking was a tool for staging plays. So maybe each person gets a role or mm-hmm. um, they create their own with lines and um, maybe stage directions or something. It would probably be they get one. So like the developers have put this out. They've written a play basically mm-hmm. and split it up into its individual roles. So you only get the script with your parts on. They like you get your role mm-hmm. on your phone or your device. And when you pass other people who are other characters in the play, then maybe you get dinged and you can all meet up and you learn the whole story, mm-hmm. something like that. So that's like Maybe there's like three Oedipuses. So like you have to find your own cast. Yeah, different versions of yeah. it or something. Like, I like that. I think that's a, really, that's a really neat idea and it's a way of bringing people together in the real world, which is mm-hmm. kind of, I think, should be the, the goal, one of the goals of social media, social technology like that. Mm-hmm. And the other one I was thinking was a kind of Dungeons and Dragons-esque uh, RPG role-playing game, maybe with augmented reality involved, I'm not sure, but it's like, um, <laughs> so you're using your avatar on the app, and I think your avatar mm-hmm. or your me can kind of go across different games, so it's like mm-hmm. other people recognize that, which is neat, um, and the story slash the game kind of occurs when you are together in real life with other people, mm-hmm. so you're not using the app, but like your activity and your um, places that you go to and maybe the other people that you meet are all kind of tracked somehow on the phone mm. it's like like a either manually or automatically it's like a pokemon snap or pokemon pokemon go pokemon, pokemon go, go meets um dungeons geocaching and... yeah meets dungeons and dragons so, I like so that. that there's a narrative yeah because pokemon go and geocaching are two apps that i've thoroughly appreciated because mm. it brings people it, yeah, it kind of bridges that gap between virtual and physical reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like cool. storytelling. It could be from the developers, like I said, for the play one, or it could also be just from the ground up. But the thing mm-hmm. is, not everyone's creative, so not everyone wants to tell stories. Some people mm-hmm. just want to be told stories. So mm-hmm. there's, this device um, allows for both. Cool. I also realized I forgot to read a quote for the um, question on countries. So I'm just going to read that now, cool. maybe as a way to close the episode. Yeah. So it says, societies continuously try to recreate themselves, shared holidays, shared news, shared traditions, shared language, shared music, shared myths, shared victories, and shared griefs, shared origins. So by telling each other stories, we recreate ourselves over and over again. 
Where do we come from? Where are we going? Who are our heroes? Who are the villains? These stories pass our values as a society from one generation to the next. It's how we understand each other. I think that's kind of a nice, a nice way of closing out the episode, which is all about place in storytelling and also just a nice kind of, not thesis, but message for the whole semester. I agree. So thank you all for listening. If you want to sign up for field notes, you can do so in the description, which is a weekly publication by Aaron and I into your inbox about our weeks, our observations, some pictures, some drawings, what have you. So we'd love to have you there. Thank you.